not a book we uh, look at a lot, but it's in the Old Testament, a minor prophet by the name of Habakkuk. And that's not minor because he's not important, but uh, uh, it's called minor for different, different reasons. So I encourage you to turn there, uh, Habakkuk, the third. Uh, well, actually, we're going to look at a couple uh, chapters in that, in that book. Well, we're in this uh, series called Hangups, and this uh, a series is, is focused on some of the hangups that we have that keep us from faith. You might be here at the invitation of someone because uh, we're dealing with some, some issues in this series. Last week, we talked about uh, the Bible, and for some, the Bible is a hangup because you say, well, I, I can't trust the Bible. I don't know that, uh, why should I have faith in God because I don't trust this book, and so uh, the Bible, and is it trustworthy, is a hangup for some people, and last week... Uh, we talked about that. If you missed it, I encourage you to go online. You could check it out uh, and, and get caught up. And just a little spoiler alert, yes, the Bible is trustworthy. I know that might mess, up, mess it up for you if you were wondering, but the answer to that question is absolutely yes, uh, it is trustworthy. Tonight we want to look at, or this week we want to look at, uh, the issue of suffering. A lot of people ask the question, how can there be a God with all of the evil, with all of the suffering that's going on, in our world and so for some it's a hang-up and that may be a hang-up for you as you are with us uh, this weekend uh, C.S. Lewis said this he said on the question of suffering it is the atheist most potent weapon against the Christian faith we look around our world and we're surrounded with suffering we're surrounded with evil we see suffering that is inflicted uh, uh, one person on another or one person on a group of people. We look at things like Columbine or a 9-11 or the Sandy Hook school shooting or the Boston Marathon bombing. We see these examples of, of suffering, an individual that has done something that affects others. We look at other examples of the suffering that happens in our natural world. Like a few years ago, the the earthquake that took place in Haiti, or Hurricane Katrina, or the tsunami that hit Indonesia, or the earthquake, tsunami, and subsequent nuclear disaster that took place in Japan. And you see all of this suffering and all of this pain. And so we ask ourselves the question, how can there be a God in the midst of all of that suffering? It is, as Yancey in a new book that he wrote, I would encourage you to read it. Um, it's not very long. It doesn't have pictures, but, uh, but it's an easy read. Uh, and it's really a great book. It's, uh, Yancey wrote a book several years ago. It's his first book on the question of suffering. I think it's Where is God When I Hurt. It's a great book. And it kind of frames or kind of helps us kind of think about it's that question that never goes away. The question of why. Why is there suffering? Why is there evil? There's a way that that question gets framed in our world and this is the way that the world kind of in its in its kind of cynical way it asks this question it says if God allows suffering to continue then maybe it's because uh, he might be good but he's not powerful enough to stop it and the second part of that uh, kind of again that cynical kind of view of why there's suffering in the world and thinking about God okay well then if God allows suffering to continue, but he could stop it, and he doesn't, then he might be all-powerful, but he can't be good. And so you put both of those arguments together, and either way they would say, an all-power, the all-powerful, or either way, the good, all-powerful God of the Bible 
could not, they say, exist. Now that's a formidable argument. Could there be another answer? An answer to the question of why there is suffering, why there is struggle, why there is evil in our world. Is the proper response when we can't figure it out, when we can't wrap our minds around why there could be or why there is suffering in the world. Is the answer to that for us to abandon faith because of the struggle with that why question? Dr. Martin Luther King, when he was writing his letters from the Birmingham jail, he said that the way you can tell a just law from an unjust law is to ask yourself the question, does it square with the law of God? And that's his words. Does it square with the law of God? Does it line up with the law of God? In other words, without the absolute law of God, then you can't know whether something is a, you can't determine that it's a just law unless there is this higher law. When we think about what Martin Luther King wrote, we can't understand the absolute, with absolute certainty whether a law is just or unjust if there is not a God. Because without that idea, and what Martin Luther King was saying is, without that, then the weak destroy the strong, or the strong destroy the weak. So without a God and without the absolutes that he brings to the table, without that, things like the Holocaust become extreme examples of just nature at work. The Newtown Massacre where 20 school children were, were massacred in their school schoolroom, it, it's, it's the natural order of things because the strong destroy the weak without God. Without God, earthquakes and tsunamis, it's just kind of the natural order of things because it's... We're here by blind, random, impersonal chance. So for those that say there is no God, why is there an outrage? Why is there a questioning of the idea of suffering? Because at the end of the day, we're just animals acting out of instinct. And so the only question more difficult than the question where is God in the midst of suffering, is the question, where is no God in the midst of suffering? Because without a belief in God, we have an even bigger problem as we try to understand our world and deal with the question of suffering and evil. So let's ponder that question. Let's ask ourselves the why question. Again, it's the subject of Yancey's book, the question that never goes away. And the prophet Habakkuk helps to frame the question. And he, he asked God the question in his own day and age. When he was struggling and he was in this land that had a lot of the same issues that, 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 that we have, he had. And so he asked God the question in Habakkuk, the first chapter, the second verse. How long, O Lord, must I call for help, but you do not listen? Or cry out to you violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. There is, there is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. Or prevails. The wicked him in the righteous so that, the just, so that justice is perverted. 
So again, here is Habakkuk, and he's living in this culture similar to ours, where justice is perverted, where the righteous are hemmed in, where, where, where he asks the question, how long are you going to tolerate the injustice and the wrong that is in the world? God, why do you allow suffering? Why, why, why? The age-old question. How do you tolerate wrong and the suffering that that wrong produces? And when Habakkuk asks that question, that question that we struggle with as well, when he asks the question, it reminds us of something that's very important for us to remember, and it's this, that God does not create evil and suffering. Well, we see, we see Habakkuk, he's asking the question, he says in verse 3, he says, why, why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong, destruction, and violence are before me? And so he's not saying, God, why do you do it? He's saying, why do you allow it? Why, what's going on in our world? And so again, God does not create evil and suffering. In our world, there is evil and suffering. There is pain. But God did not cause it. When God created this world in the very beginning, in the garden with Adam and Eve, we see that he created a world without pain, without that suffering. And we were given a choice, a free will choice to, to be in relationship with him, to love him. We're able to choose him. If you were to take a doll and you were to pull a string on the back of the doll and the doll says, I love you. The doll had no choice. The doll, doll says, I love you, not because the doll chose to say, I love you. And so what the doll says is really meaningless because it wasn't a choice. We have a choice. And God created this world in that way that we had a free will. We could reject God and reject walking with him. And so then we ask the question, well, couldn't God have foreseen all of the suffering and all of the evil? And absolutely he did, but he chose to create us anyway. Many of us in this room are parents. And even before we had children, we looked at the future. We maybe thought about the future. And as we looked at the future, we saw in that future the potential for our children to create maybe in their own lives or our lives or in our world heartbreak, disappointment, as a result of them, stress, suffering. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and we, as parents, have experienced some of those things. And so as, as, we, as we think about the choice of, of having those children, the chance for them someday to walk away from God and even to walk away from us, it was there, but we still chose to have them. Because at the same time, there was this opportunity this potential for tremendous love and joy and relationship with them. And don't you think that God wants the same thing? And so when God created this world, he, yes, he, he did it knowing that some would reject him and some would, would walk away, but that, that he gave us a chance to be in relationship with him. And the result, the, the, the end result of those choices that we've made is our world is destroyed. And we look at our world and, and, and we see it's broken. Even the fabric of nature is broken. And go back to Genesis and look and, and read about the curses and the, the results is not just the results in people but in this world and we see the earthquakes and the brokenness and the tsunamis and the things our, our world was broken by sin and it cries out but we still we want that answer why 
Why does there need to be disease and AIDS and polio and Ebola? Why does there need to be natural disasters and floods and famines and earthquakes and hurricanes? And it points us to another thing that we need to consider and need to remember. And it's, just, and it's this. It's just because we don't see an answer doesn't mean that there's not an answer there. I, I love to go down to the beach and hang out. I don't know if you get an occasion in Oklahoma City to go to the beach much. But here in Michigan, we've got this big lake, uh, uh, Lake Michigan. And we have the occasion to, to go down there. And I love to go down. i got my backpack chair and go down and, and out in the middle of nowhere, kind of a place uh, I, I try to find. Because I don't necessarily want a lot of people around when I'm hanging out at the beach. And so to find that spot. And, 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 and so there was a day that I had my backpack chair last year. And going out and had my book, had my had something to drink and was just going to go out in the middle of nowhere and so I walked out it was a beautiful day, the sun shining not much, not, not really a breeze at all, it wasn't too hot uh, just perfect, the, the water was just crystal clear glass like and I walked out and walked and, oh this is going to be awesome and I set my chair down, I get my book, I sit down and I start to read and then all of a sudden I, I felt something on my leg, and, and, I, and I slapped at it because it, it really kind of hurt. Something bit my leg, and I looked down, and I didn't really see anything. And then pretty soon, something on my other leg, and then my arm, and I, and, and I really start to pay attention. And then there's these little bitty evil little creatures, these little gnat-like things, and they're, I don't know if they're blood-sucking vermin, and they're totally destroying my time here. And I, I don't, when I was walking down from the, from the car, it looked like the perfect day, the perfect opportunity, but... There were things there that I could not see. But just because I couldn't see them didn't mean they weren't there. And just because we can't see the answers to the why question does not mean that they're not there. If we go back to that argument at the very beginning from those that doubt God, they say, well, suffering proves either that that God isn't good or he isn't all-powerful. And what I would say to them is, no, I think that there's another option. I don't think that that's the only two options going on. That maybe, just maybe, that there's something going on in this world that I can't in my limited intellect understand and comprehend. That God has a higher thing going in this world. And when Habakkuk had asked those questions of God, God responds to him in verse 5 of chapter 1 when he says, Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if I were to have told you. And so God says basically to Habakkuk, we don't have time to get into all the, what was going on in that day except to say that God tells Habakkuk, you can't see it, but I'm at work and God, and then I'm going to do something. And if I were to have told you, you would not have believed it. And can we trust God? That in the midst of some of the stuff that we can't understand and we can't comprehend and the suffering and the evil, that the, 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 the two things that are going on are not that, 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 that God's not good enough or God's not powerful enough, but there's another option that God's up to something that's beyond our pay grade. And that's the kind of God I want. That's up to stuff that I can't even comprehend. And so he tells Habakkuk, I have a plan. You may not be able to see it, but I have a plan. 
And we need, to, we, need to, we need to live with that and understand that. And even though we don't understand what's going on, that we believe that God and trust that God has a plan. So let's think about, kind of take a pause as we think about some things that we need to consider. But let's think about what does our response then need to be in the midst of suffering, in the midst of pain. And the first thing that goes back to that point is that we need to trust that God has a plan. Let me show if we could this little quick little video. This was Crystal and I and Caleb. Go ahead and roll that little video. We got it. So we're driving up to Grand Rapids. This is... And it, the, it's so bad. This is out the front the window is, of our car. I don't know, 30 feet in front of me. I can see his blinkers, but that's the only way we can kind of see where we're going. It's such a whiteout conditions. Uh, we're going like 20 miles an hour down the highway. So it's pretty Make exciting sure. stuff. Make sure you're right with Jesus. <laughs> So we so were going we're up. up uh, we were going up to Grand Rapids. Caleb was signing uh, for, uh, with his soccer scholarship at the school he's playing with, and we had to go. And the only kind of thing that kept us on the road that day was that vehicle in front of us. Was the blinking lights of the semi? Now you, we can debate whether we should have continued to go or not, but we did. And the blinking lights of that vehicle in front of us, you couldn't see, the, you couldn't see the, where the other lane was, you couldn't see cars, you couldn't see the, the lines. All we could see was that car in front of us. So as we think about our lives, we need to trust that God has a plan. We need to follow him. We need to, even though we can't, everything else around is blurry, we need to follow him. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, in the message translation, it says, We don't yet see things clearly yet, squinting in a fog, peering through a mist. But it won't be long before the weather clears and the sun shines bright. And we'll see it all then, see it as clearly as God sees it, knowing him directly, just as he knows us. I love that, where the message puts it. We don't yet see things clearly. And at times we walk through this life and, and we walk through it in a fog and we can't really see the edge lines and we can't get it and we don't understand it. But can we trust that God has a plan? That needs to be our response in the midst of the questions that will never be answered this side of eternity to continue to trust that God has a plan in these moments. And that's exactly what Habakkuk did. God said, I, I'm going to do some things you can't even begin to comprehend. You can't begin to understand, even if I were to have told you. And so Habakkuk, we see that he's, you know, he just kind of, okay, God, I'm going to trust you. And in chapter 3, the first part of the first 16 verses of chapter 3 is, is Habakkuk just then responding back to God. And he basically says to God, God, you're awesome. Uh, you did this, you did that, and, and I trust you. And he, he just has this prayer, wonderful time with God where he says all these wonderful things about who God is and what he's done. And then... Then in verse 16, he says this, as he kind of then comes back after he's talked about to himself and reminded himself how awesome his God is. In verse 16, this is his reply as he begins to think now and he can just come back home and think about all the suffering that he has yet to experience. He says this as he thinks about those things and, he, and listen to the emotion in his voice as he says these things. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound as he's considering his future and what's going to happen to him. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. And have you experienced those moments when life, when you get the news, when, you, when something happens and you experience those emotions where decay creeps in your bones your, your, your lips tremble when you think about what's happening and then he says yet I will wait patiently 
the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. In other words, he's saying, I'm going to trust that God's going to work this out. And I'm going to trust that God's going to take care of this. And then he says, though the fig tree, and he thinks about, and he, he lists the things that are happening. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines. Though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food. And there's no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. But... But, but all these things are going on, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He will make my feet like the feet of the deer. He enables me to go on the heights. There's a lot of suffering, he says, ahead of me. And I haven't gotten through all of it yet, but I choose to trust that God has a plan. But these things are happening, yet I will rejoice, he says. And he makes a conscious decision. Some of the things we were talking about. We're talking about things that we need to remember. We need to, and we, we're talking about then things that we need to, how we should respond. And we said that the thing that we should respond is that we need to respond by trusting that God has a plan. And the second thing we need to think, as we think about God has a plan, is that he uses pain sometimes to draw us to him. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says, the stress that drives us to God does that. It turns us around. It gets us back in the way of salvation. We never regret that kind of pain. But those who let distress drive them away are full of regrets. And they end up on a deathbed of regrets. If you've been here for some time, you might remember a story I told of my uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy was, he was the fun uncle. You have boring uncles and you have fun uncles. Tommy was the fun uncle. He was the guy that you wanted to ride with during the winter. Uh, because he was the guy that did donuts in the parking lots with the kids. And so that was Uncle Tommy. Uncle Tommy always saw kind of the grass was greener on the other side of the fence and he even saw that in his marriage when he walked away from his wife and he found him a new one. He destroyed his marriage and destroyed his family. But he was a fun guy. He never really had much time for God because he kind of lived his own life and his own agenda and kind of his own way. Tommy came down, was diagnosed with leukemia. He'd never been to church his entire life, and he was walking through with his new wife. He's walking through a mall one day, and he saw this little storefront church. And there was a guy inside, and he was really struggling with this leukemia diagnosis. And so he goes in, and he starts to talk to this preacher in this storefront church. They weren't having church. He just happened to be there. And so he began to talk to him, and, and Tommy told his story about how he was going the next day up to St. Louis few hours away from our home and he was going to go through some treatments for his leukemia and the guy asked was it okay if we come and visit you and he said sure he was desperate and so the pastor didn't go himself he sent one of his just a, a guy in the church that was willing to go and so he went and he visited Tommy and through a course of visiting with my uncle he won him to the Lord my no uncle never left that hospital he died. Treatment was, he didn't react well to it, and he died a few weeks later in that hospital. He never left the hospital. He never went to church. But he's in heaven today. And the thing that drew him was his pain. He never had time for God until that moment when his pain, when his suffering, woke him up to things that were higher and bigger and more important and long-lasting than the here and now. And so, 
He uses our pain at times to draw us to him. He also can use our pain to sharpen our character. Romans 5 verse 3 says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. So our pain can sharpen our character. And then finally, our pain, he can bring positive out of that negative, out of that suffering. Romans 8, 28, that famous verse. And we know that in all, all is a key word, things, not just the good things, but he says in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. So in other words, he can use the bad things, he can use the suffering, he can use the evil, he can use that in our lives to bring it around for our good. He can bring positive out of negative. The video I want to show us from a guy from our church, Tim. I want you to listen to his story and then I'll wrap up after he's done. And I can still, still remember the silence or the pain. Um, when he told me that I had stage four melanoma and maybe a year to live. That hurt. Um, Brendan and I Drove, me, drove back from Michigan and there was silence in the car. We didn't know how to deal with it. Everything we knew about who God is and what he's done and what he's willing to do for comfort all of a sudden went from a knowledge where we understood it to becoming totally real. He's everything and he's the only thing that we need and he provides the comfort and even in the situation joy. He, it was hard. I mean, we had to process through it. It took us a while to process through it. But I cannot imagine living what we're living through without knowing the salvation that we have in Christ. We don't know the solution. We don't know the end of the story, the end of the cancer journey. We don't. Uh, the cancer journey is unknown. Um, we, don't, we don't know the end, but God does. So we don't have to worry about tomorrow for God's already there. God's already in our tomorrow. What we know is the end of my story and our story. You know, Jesus describes it when he was on the cross that our story ends in paradise. And no matter what we're going through, no matter what we have, you know, right now that seems heavy, the end of it all is paradise. The things of this life, you know, having a diagnosis where they, you know, where they're projecting 
early death, you know, you end up letting go of a lot of your own plans. But also, you know, and there's pain in that, but also you let go of a lot of your small worries. The things that used to be important aren't. You know, the, the difficulties at work or the little things that bother you about your kids, or those all completely fade away because your focus has changed. And I don't want to change back. I wouldn't desire this for anybody. But I also wouldn't trade what God has taught us for anything. There's a day coming when suffering will cease. And just because God hasn't eradicated suffering yet does not mean that he won't. I love what Strobel says on the subject. He says, criticizing God for not eradicating sin and suffering yet is like reading half a novel and then criticizing the author for not tying up all the loose ends in the plot. <laughs> this part of the story is not over. And God has a plan and, and God is up to something if we will trust him. And the day is coming when suffering will cease. He doesn't want any of us, though, to perish. And so he's giving us a chance. And so he wants us to respond. And so are you here today and you've, you, you've been struggling and you're wondering, is God real? And, and, and all those kind of things. And today is your day. Today is the day I would encourage you to put your trust, even in the midst of some of the questions that you have about why and some of those things, to put those aside because it's above our pay grade to some degree and trust God. To give up our bitterness and the questions that we can't answer. Because the day is coming when suffering will cease. So here's the conclusion. Here's our response. The first thing was that we were to trust God, that he has a plan. The second, I would encourage you to allow God to help others through you, through your suffering. Let him redeem your struggle and your suffering and help someone else. And the final thing that I would say that our response needs to be is to turn to God and not to bitterness. We probably all had those people in our lives that we've watched and we've seen the struggle and we've seen the difficulty. And we've seen as a result of that suffering and some of that difficulty, we've seen them turn away from God and abandon God because they can't answer all those why questions and they, they run away. And then there's others in the very same situation that make a decision to turn to God. So we can turn to bitterness, we can choose bitterness, or we can choose to turn to God and allow him to help us through it. And we see them becoming more loving and more tender and more gentle. We make the choice in our suffering. Don't make the bitterness choice, but make a choice to trust. God's ultimate answer to suffering is not with an explanation, but with the incarnation. He sent Christ to be in our suffering with us. So are you broken? He was broken. Do you feel betrayed? He was betrayed. Do you cry out that, I can't handle this, God. I can't do this anymore. I don't know if I can keep going. Jesus said the same thing. In his final moments, he understands. I don't stand up here this weekend with all the answers. And if you notice in Scripture, whether it's Job or Habakkuk, 
or any number, a number, number of others, you don't see God taking a lot of time answering why questions. But he tells us how we can get through it with his help. And I want to encourage you to be reminded of God, how he reveals himself to Habakkuk and reminds him that he's got things under control. Will you trust him in the same way with your life, whatever is spinning out of control, to remind him as you see it that he's in control? Suffering and, and evil and all the things, they make our lives foggy and we can't see what's going on totally. But will you choose to trust God that he has a plan? Will you choose to, to help someone else in your suffering? Will you choose like Habakkuk did in the vacuum of not knowing all the answers to not turn to bitterness? but to turn to God. I want to invite you to stand with me this weekend, and we want to do something in the choir as well, if you stand with us. And I would invite anyone in the choir as well. We want to open up these altars, and this is kind of a space that we've reserved here at First Church. It's just a space where you can come and pray. Here on the right side, if you are here this weekend and you have been on the run from God, I want to invite you. you. God brought you here because the, some of the reason that he's not sent Christ back, some of the reasons this world continues to tarry, he said, I want all of them. I want everybody to have a chance to come and to know me. I don't desire that anyone should perish, but all have life. And you have a chance tonight to respond to Christ. Will you do that? Will we respond and invite Christ into your life, even though you might have all the right answers to all the tough questions? Will you respond? And if you'd like to come and have somebody pray with you about having a personal relationship with Christ, won't you come and, and I'll be here and I'd love to pray with you about that decision. If you are here this weekend and there's something, some struggle, some suffering, some whatever going on in your life, uh, we believe around here that God has the power to intervene and as we say, prayer is a slender nerve that moves the muscles of omnipotence. And so today, we've got some folks up here, some of our pastoral staff. And if you'd like to come, and if you need prayer, if you need healing, you need some miracle in your life, uh, let them anoint you and just pray over you, whatever that situation is. And so as we conclude this with a final song, I just want to invite you to come. It doesn't matter who's around here, because God is here. And let's throw aside our bitterness, and let's just trust, even in the midst of not understanding all the questions. I would invite you during this next song. Father, God, I pray in Jesus' name that you would help us to put aside all the stuff in our lives and God to be able to focus on you and in the midst of kind of thinking about the diagnosis and the, and the situations and the, and the relationship issues and, and whatever, God, I pray in Christ's name that you would help us to understand that you have answers, that you love us, that you care about us, and that you want to walk with us through whatever it is that we're going through. If we'll just turn our lives over to you and, and ask for your help, and so today, I know that there are people that need your help. And I pray, Father, you just give them the strength to come forward and ask. And I pray, Father, that you would intervene. God, I know that there are people here this weekend that, that need Christ personally in their lives, that need to respond in a very personal way to Christ. And you've brought them here to, to remind them that you love them, that you care. And you, they might not have all the why answers uh, that, they, that they were hoping for, but God, that you have been tugging at their heart and you want to change their lives as they put their trust and they put their hope in your son, Jesus Christ. You want to change your life for all of eternity. And you will make things right. And God, there are people that are going to choose right now to trust you with their eternity as they turn their lives over to you. Thank you, Father, for what you're doing in this service. And as we sing this final song, I pray that you just move in our hearts as we move toward you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So if you'd like to come, won't you come as we sing this song?